I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that our services on Sunday evening will be related to discussing some challenges and some false teaching that is taking place in our local area. And I do want to preface my lesson tonight by emphasizing that I don't do this with joy. I don't enjoy trying to talk about things that trouble the church, and we're going to talk about troubling the church in just a few moments. But I don't enjoy having to discuss people who have chosen to teach things that they ought not. I don't enjoy dealing with difficult things. I'd much rather, as in the book of Jude, he said, I would rather have written concerning our common salvation. He says, but it was necessary that we contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And so as we approach our lesson tonight, we take no joy in correcting something that is wrong, but neither can we run from the responsibility that we have to teach the truth and to expose that which is wrong. And tonight we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. And uh, by way of introduction, I'd like to point out to you there are those who do trouble the church. When Paul wrote the churches of Galatia in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Anytime someone teaches something that is different from or contrary to the doctrine that is revealed in the Bible, they are troubling the church. But I must tell you that many times when we do correct those who are teaching false, they will say that we are the troublers. And that's not new and that's not strange. In 1 Kings chapter 18, King Ahab had come to Elijah, and the text says, It happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. We need to understand that when we teach and we practice what the New Testament teaches, we are not the ones who are troubling the church. It's those who have introduced different, strange, perverted, and false teachings as Ahab did among Israel. But I will point out to you that just like we preached this morning from Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, many times you will have people who look like sheep, but as Jesus said, they're inwardly ravenous wolves. And I'll point out to you that in Acts chapter 15 and verse 24, even the church at Jerusalem had people who were claiming authority when in reality they had no authority. They wrote, Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying that you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. I will tell you that there are people who will say, this is what the Bible teaches. 
And they're wrong because the Bible does not teach that. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, there's some who will take even what they find in Scripture and will just twist it and turn it. In 2 Thessalonians he says, Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be shaken, soon shaken in mind, or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Notice that as if. As if someone were saying this is what we are teaching. I will tell you that whenever these matters are discussed, I generally find that at the bottom of them is sheer ignorance of God's Word. You know, when Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to teach men not to say or teach some other doctrine, he said to him in verse 7 that they are desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Sometimes they don't understand the import of their teaching. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to talk about the context of the Lord's Supper. We're going to look at it when it began. What the Lord did when the Lord's Supper was established. Number two, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through verse 29, how the Lord gave conditions as to how the Lord's Supper was to be conducted. I'm going to try to do this as briefly as I can. And then third of all, we're going to talk about corruption. How people have taken what the Lord has given us and twisted it. Let's begin, first of all, with the context. And the background of the Lord's Supper is important because it lets us understand what God did and why He did it and why He gave it to us. It was established while celebrating the Passover. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at verse 12 and then verses 22 through 25. If you want to read further, I encourage you to do so. But for brevity's sake, we'll only look at these verses. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? Now, folks, for just a moment, pause with me to see what you can understand from the way Mark's account states it. We know that it's the days of unleavened bread. We know that the days of unleavened bread and the Passover both went hand in hand. In fact, Mark says that this is when the Passover lamb was killed. And we know that the disciples are asking the Lord, where do you want us to go to prepare? You didn't just have a Passover meal. You had to have certain details that we're going to observe from the book of Exodus in just a moment. But drop down to verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, 
This is my blood in the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You can see from verse 12, dropping down to verse 22, that it was during that Passover feast that the Lord established the Lord's Supper. It is also significant when you look at verse 25 that they were going to celebrate it in the kingdom. But I want to point out to you that the Passover had more than just bread and the fruit of the vine. To do that, you have to go back to Exodus chapter 12 for just a few moments. I want to look at verses 6 through 11 and then verse 15. And again, if you want to read more, I encourage you to do so. And here are the regulations. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And kill it, he's talking about the Passover lamb. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall set, eat the flesh on that night, roast it in fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boil it at all with water, but roasted in the fire with its head, its legs, and its entrails. Now before I go on, I do want to draw attention to a few things. I want to draw attention to the fact that if you look in verse 8, that you will see that it included not only the unleavened bread, but it included bitter herbs to go along with the meat that was a part of that Passover meal. Verse 10, And let none of it remain until morning, and what remains till morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with your belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now dropping down to verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. I know that they had unleavened bread when they celebrated the Passover. Now, for me to understand this, I have to understand what the Lord was doing and the context in which it occurred. And I think it's very fitting that when Paul writes the Corinthians, he also ties together this Passover. Because in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, he talks about purging out the old leaven and be a new lump since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. The bread and the fruit of the vine, you have to tie it together that the blood of that Passover lamb and Jesus Christ are fitting parallels. Now, that's the context in which the Lord established it. But when I get to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23, going through verse 29, the Lord sets forth through the Apostle Paul a number of conditions that are involved in the celebration of this Lord's Supper. So we begin reading. 
For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Pause for just a moment. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. I mentioned these instructions were from the Lord. They were. Paul was only the messenger who delivered them. The instructions found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and following, are from the Lord to Paul for the church at Corinth. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper. You notice that after supper? That's after the Passover meal. That's after they had eaten what they were going to eat. And he said, or saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This is often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, again, I mentioned this is directions from the Lord. It's his supper. That's the reason why verse 20 that Brother Caleb read just a few moments ago says, and calls it the Lord's Supper. It's his. It belongs to him. The bread was a symbol of his body. And I point out to you that the Bible teaches that not a bone of that body was broken from John chapter 19 and verse 36. Not a one of his bones shall be broken. The fruit of the vine was a symbol of his blood. And I think about the Passover lamb tying that together and how that lamb's blood was placed upon the Post going across the door in the two side posts. And when the angel of death saw the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, the passing over, just like God passes over our sins because of the blood of Christ. I don't know how many passages I could produce for that, but one of the best is Matthew chapter 26. Verses 27 and 28. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You and I need to understand that the body was represented by the bread. The blood was represented by the fruit of the vine. But you see, the Lord made it clear through Paul that there was a worthy and an unworthy manner. There's a right and a wrong way to partake of it. 
And in doing so, the Lord here through Paul says that a man ought to examine himself. I don't examine you. I don't examine what's in your heart. The only person I know what's in their heart is me. I know my motivations. I know what I'm thinking about. I know my thankfulness. I know my appreciation. And so when that bread is passed before me, my mind is to focus and remember what the Lord did when he hang upon that cross. Or in other words, discerning his body. You know, the Lord went through a tremendous amount and and that's worthy of taking time to think about the suffering that he endured on that cross. But it's for remembrance. It's so that we do this to bring this to our mind. Do you know we have times in our country where we do things to make us remember? For instance, we have a holiday every year, the 4th of July, to celebrate our independence. We have things like when we sing the national anthem and we stand and we place our hands over our hearts and we see the flag raised. Those are things to remember those people who have sacrificed for us so that we can enjoy what we have. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. The word proclaim there is the same word for preaching. You preach to the world the Lord's coming again. You proclaim to the world the Lord died and you believe and you trust in that. Every time when someone comes and they see us partaking of this communion, it makes them realize what we appreciate about our Lord. Now, that was the context in which it was established. Those were the conditions upon which... God gave, but clearly there are some people who have corrupted the Lord's original intent. I don't think we should be surprised that they've done that because they did it in Corinth. And I want to begin by pointing out that some people misunderstood and mispractice God's original intent, the function of it. For instance... I want you to look with me at the same context, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to back up a couple of verses from where Caleb read, and I want to begin with verse 18. We'll go through verse 22. Here's Paul writing the church. Imagine he's speaking to them directly. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I in part believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Don't lose the last part of verse 19 as we read on. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes of his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? 
What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. We have a divine statement from God saying through Paul, I don't praise you, congregation, when you do this. Let's observe a few things. God had intended it to be a memorial, and they had turned it into a feast. How do I know that? Because when the Lord created the Lord's Supper, in that Passover meal, do you remember me reading very carefully after supper? The meal had already been eaten. But now the Lord is going to take just a small piece of bread. He's going to take a small serving of the drink. And He is going to give it to them and say, This is a memorial. It's not for a meal. It's for a memorial. And yet they had turned it into a feast. According to verse 19, that those who are recognized may be approved among you. There were some people who wanted to embarrass others by saying, look what we have and look what you don't have. And in doing so, they had corrupted God's plan. And so only a part of this Passover meal was used to institute it. And so when the church is coming together and the church has people who are bringing excessive amounts and some people have little to nothing, that's only embarrassing for them. So some have corrupted the function of it. And I'd suggest to you that there are people who have corrupted the function of it today if they're doing for any other reason than to remember the Lord's body and His blood. But not only the function, but the frequency. And this is something that has arisen in our area. I heard a man say in presence of a number of other men just a few months ago that a person could take the Lord's Supper on any day of the week. He could take it every day of the week. Or he could take it monthly, quarterly, or whenever that it really did not matter. And in appealing to do so, he said... What you have in the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26 as, as often as you eat. And his point was, the Bible doesn't tell us how often we are to eat it or upon the day which we are to eat it or how many times we are to eat it. It just says as often as you do this. I've heard my denominational friends say that many times. I've never heard a brother of the Lord say that, though. Let me focus your mind for just a moment back to 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Folks, you have to read a whole sentence. And when I just pull a little set of words out of a passage and try to make them say something, they are not saying that I am mishandling God's Word. He is saying as often as you are doing this, you're proclaiming this to the world. He's not suggesting here that this is somehow just saying the frequency is just left up to our whims. He's saying that when you do this, you are proclaiming the Lord's death to the world. 
What do we know from the Scriptures? See, this is really important. We know that the church assembled on the first day of every week. And you say, well, how do you know that? I want to take you to two passages of Scripture. We go, first of all, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, looking at verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Someone says, well, it doesn't say every week. Actually, the original word that is found there for every in verse 2, the New American Standard accurately translates on the first day of every, or every first day of the week. And that is the thought. They met not just on a first day of the week, but the church met every first day of the week. And his command was, on every first day of the week, you're to lay aside something as you've been purposed, or as you've been prospered. You purpose it, and then you, as you've been prospered, you lay this aside, you put it in a treasury. The congregation collects it so that they could meet the obligation which they had afore promised. But I think you've got to tie that with Acts 20 and verse 7. And Paul is describing his journey to Jerusalem. And he talks about how some left ahead of him, and he met them at Troas. They stay there seven days, according to verse 6. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Folks, I don't think you need help understanding that. The first day of the week. I know that's exactly the same first day of the week in 1 Corinthians 16. But Luke tells us why they did it. Why they came... When the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them. Now, here's what else I know. I know that the early church held fast to a pattern that the apostles had given them. You know, right there in Acts 2, when you have the teaching of the New Testament about the church being started, here's what verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. The definite article, the, is there. This is not just some common meal as some people would have us to think. This is the breaking of bread. This is the Lord's Supper. The disciples continued in that every first day of the week. Now someone says, well, you've got to understand the Catholic Church came along and, and started all this hundreds of years later and, and what you're doing today is nothing more than Catholic teaching. That's just not so. 
when you go back and you look at those people who lived right after the apostles, I'm talking about 2nd century. And when you talk about 2nd century, don't think 200s, think 100s. 1st century is 0 to 99. 2nd century starts with 100. Shortly after the turn of the century, 2nd century, the Didache, which is actually the teaching of the Twelve, this is a writing shortly after the first oath, says this, On the Lord's day, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanks, first confessing your transgressions that your sacrifice may be pure. Now, this is not Scripture. This is the writings of people early second century. Someone says, well, that's just one man. No. If you come to 152 A.D., Justin Martyr wrote his first apology, and here's what he said. And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together in one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writing of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray. And before said, as we before said, when our prayers ended, bread and wine are brought and the president in like manner offers prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability and the people assent saying amen. And there's a distribution to each and participation of that over which thanks has been given. Folks, that sounds just exactly like the Lord's church today. But you see, some people would want you to believe that we're just following some of man's traditions. And I'd suggest to you, they're not man's traditions. They're that which was taught in the Scriptures. Now, for just a couple of minutes, I want to deal with, very briefly, Bible authority. How do we know what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it? There's three avenues which we generally speak of. We talk about commands or statements. For instance, Mark 16, verse 16, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. We say that's a command. Acts 2, verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of your sins. That's a command. But then there are inferences. And someone says, Well, I don't believe in those inferences because I, I have to see it. Exactly. Would you realize that there is no one living today that has a book of the Bible written to them? I can read a book written to Timothy and to Titus, and I can read of the general epistles of John and Jude and Peter. I can read the message of James. Well, then how am I supposed to understand that that's for me? I have to infer that when the Lord speaks to them and their New Testament Christians, then those are things that I, as a New Testament Christian, ought to participate in as well. So that, for instance, when the qualifications for elders are given in 1 Timothy chapter 3, or the qualifications of deacons given, that we must follow those same patterns, even though that was written for Timothy for the church that was in Ephesus. 
But the one that has so many people confused is that of examples. When we go to Acts 20 and verse 7, and we read upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. And someone says, well, that's just what they were doing. When we look in a passage and we see the essential, and I'm not talking about incidental matters, like, for instance, in Acts 20, you have the meeting in the upper room, you have many lights, you have Paul preaching to midnight. Those are all incidental things. But they came together to break bread. That's the essential part of it. But you have to realize there had to have been a command behind that. Whenever you have an example in Scripture, you have Bible authority behind that because some inspired man gave the instruction for those people to participate in that. We may not have the command specifically stated, but you have the example of those people who were following that command. And thus you have examples that you and I are to participate in. And that's what we sometimes call the pattern. You see, when I study the book of Acts, I see people hearing the gospel, believing in Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins, confessing their faith, and then being baptized. I see that pattern develop over and over and over and over again. Like Acts 18 and verse 8, and many of the Corinthians hearing, believing, and were baptized. But you see... Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5 says, Who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make thing, all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. We follow the pattern. Now, I realize there's a lot that I have not covered. But I think I've covered enough for us to realize that the Lord's Supper is an important act of worship. Something that's not to be entered into lightly. It was intended to be a part of the corporate. That is the combined assembly. Remember 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 20. When you come together in one place, failure to do so has some very serious implications. You know, when I read 1 Corinthians 11... I want you to listen again to verses 29 and 30, verse 34. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Verse 34, but if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. It's possible that you and I can do stuff and be judged by God if we're not doing it according to his pattern. Let's make sure that everything that we practice has the Bible as our source of authority. We ought not do anything without God's direction. Tonight, it's possible that you have been thinking about perhaps the lesson this morning. Perhaps you are looking to the example of what Tyler did this morning after services. Maybe you have been thinking about, I need to be a New Testament Christian. If you need to obey the gospel tonight, we want to encourage you to respond to the gospel call. And if you are a Christian and you're not walking with God like you ought, 
to come back and be restored. Would you come as together we stand and sing?